With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for big gun talk. It's off tackle. Empire! We are here once again for the Charging Blockcast, Off Tackle Empire's Big Ten basketball production. I am joined tonight by our esteemed Penn State specialist, Aaron York. Aaron, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing well. Uh, Penn State is off on the football front, so I can focus on basketball for now. And then, yeah, basketball season's almost underway. Penn State is supposed to do stuff this year, but that's it seems like it for the past three years, they've been projected maybe a tournament team in the preseason only to fall short. So we'll see if this time is the charm. Yeah. Football. Don't know that. Haven't heard of it. Can't think of what that would be. So basketball season is all I'm talking about. Uh, anyway. I don't blame you, <laughs> man. It's uh, well, first of all, I, I begrudged Penn state the result, not at all in the football game last week because Penn State was by far the better team. Um, I remain barely envious of the fact that KJ Hamler decided to go there, but of course he did. Why? Why the hell? If given the choice between playing in those in those two offenses, would you ever pick Michigan State? Just what? Just because it's closer to home? No. I, he made the I mean, uh, it, he made a brilliant choice for him. Hopefully, he'll just declare for the draft, so I never have to be reminded of that again. And I mean, yeah. honestly, <laughs> Penn State's offense might look a lot like Michigan State's offense if not for KJ Hamler. I mean, you go back to the Michigan game. I don't know. I like maybe they score like ten points without KJ Hamler. <laughs> like, There's certain, uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean, he's he's a it, big part of. And I mean, it's all because of Sean Clifford. Yeah, it's it's fair to say that if you're going to rely on the big play, you better at least have guys who make the big plays. I mean, Michigan State's offense is just inefficient like Penn State's can be at times from down to down, but then also has no explosiveness. <laughs> so yeah, that can, exactly. tends to be a little bit of an issue. See, here you got me talking about football. How did you trick me into doing this? Um, oh, you brought up <laughs> KJ Hamler. I did. That was, that was my fault. Um, anyway, so to pivot actually then to basketball here, we I've been prefacing our discussion of each team as we go with what I think is the best word or phrase to sum up where the program is and this may or may not be because I know there are Penn State basketball fans out there, you being evidence of that. But if I had to come up with one as an outsider looking at where Penn State is from a big picture, it would probably be disinterested because there, as you mentioned, there have been these expectations of, all right, this is going to be a tournament team. This team should be at least middle of the pack in the conference the last couple of years. It hasn't panned out. And other than the froth of the Penn State basketball fans I see online, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of pressure or urgency to necessarily push things forward or maybe consider moving a different direction. I have a theory on that, which is Penn State basketball's importance is diminished a little bit because of how much the athletic department is tearing it up in other places. I mean, when football is a top 10 program, when you have the premier wrestling team in the country, when you have an excellent hockey team that has just come online in the last few years, 
and women's volleyball, also a top 10 team. There's just a lot of other things you can point to and be like, yeah, well, basketball's not doing great, but look at all these other things. I don't, do you think there's anything to that or am I making that up? Yeah, I agree, especially locally in the state college area. The hockey team is super popular. I was able to go to a game for the first time back in February against Wisconsin. It was it's really awesome. The arena is is you know probably one of the top hockey arenas in the country. That's like exclusively for college hockey. It's it's you know it's an intimate venue, but the uh, crowd gets pretty rowdy, gets pretty intimidating. So I can see what the draws. Are. I, I I mean I love I love watching hockey. The college hockey's fun, and uh, the problem is it's not on TV all that often. Hopefully, you know. Big Ten Network, they gradually expand their coverage, but still there's only so much we can do to follow the college hockey out here where I'm in New Jersey. And meanwhile, almost all the basketball games are on TV, especially when you get into conference season, the basketball team is just easier to follow. But obviously, yeah, you're right. The other the other programs are way more popular. The administration has not invested enough in the basketball program when it comes to keeping up with the Michigan states and the Michigans and the Indianas of the world. So that's where the lack of interest comes in. They, they're not going to make a move to hire a, a super expensive coach that like when Fred Hoiberg got hired by Nebraska, I, all I could say is, Hey, this is, would be the perfect guy if Penn state was willing to take a chance on someone with a higher price tag that could help turn this program around. But they're going to stick with Pat Chambers. Hopefully he finally makes the tournament this year. But if not, who knows? I mean, remember, Ed Chelsea didn't get fired, though. Coach before Pat Chambers, he left on his own to go to Navy. That's the only reason Ed <laughs> Chelsea probably would still be at Penn State. That's the only reason he's not still here is because he wow. left on his own. Penn State did not fire him. Uh, uh, so it seems like they're... they're uh, and, uh, you know, Sandy Barber took over... <laughs> maybe five years ago now, but she seems content with him. So we're, so uh, if Penn state fans will clamor for more investment for a big name coach for the magic fix, but it doesn't look like it's coming. So the realistic fans say, Hey, we're stuck with pet chambers, might as well support him. But at times it is really frustrating because he hasn't gotten over the hill yet. Man, that, that is mind blowing. That, so if he hadn't left, do you think the cellist would have just been there until he died? Yes, or that's what I'm saying that the cellist was coming nuts. off a big year. He was coming off uh, the first NIT. Oh no, he was coming off the NCAA in, in 2011. He won the NIT in 2009 and then NCAA in 2011. And then he left. And he, so he, he was going to live off that NCAA bid for at least five more years, probably. <laughs> Is he even still the coach? In it? I, now I got to look up and see what Ed Chalice is up to. Last time I checked. I mean, we, if you talk about another place that doesn't have any pressure, how about Navy basketball? Uh, gosh. Well, I think that's. I mean, that's why Ed Chalice took the job. I think he really wanted to, you know, yeah, work no, he's, with he, service he's, academy. He's still at Navy. Um, yeah, good for him. <laughs> the, <laughs> let's see. Now uh, we're we're down the wormhole. Now I got to see. Oh, <laughs> so he. Yeah. Two years ago, he had a 20-win season. Um, in 15 and 16, he won 19 games. But other than that, it, his first year there, they won three games. <laughs> David Robinson's not coming through that door. <laughs> no, and, and like I said, I knew Navy was Navy basketball is never. I guess you could say that they're certainly better with him now. He, I mean, he hasn't 
those first three seasons, they were winning single digits every year, though. Three wins, eight wins, nine wins. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think last <sighs> year they opened with there was a game in Annapolis on CBS Sports Network for like the opener. And yeah, why, though? <laughs> like, I don't know, but I got to watch him. I got to watch him. It was surreal because I'd never seen him like coach another team. So it was surreal. Turn it on, have him like coaching another team. But. We'll always have those uh, that the, those those two years, 2009, 2011, two of the most exciting Penn State uh, basketball seasons. Ah, Taylor Battle, right? And was that was oh. Tim Frazier after that period, or was that in count? Tim it's Frazier in came in. Uh, he was on the 2011 team as a freshman, so I don't think he was. No, he wasn't on the NIT team because that was Stanley Pringle. But he was on the tournament team with uh, Taylor Battle, Jeff Brooks, and. David Johnson, Andrew Jones, that was a starting five. Yeah, and you know, obviously, it, listeners of this podcast will know that there there was no chance we were going to talk about Penn State basketball without Taylor Battle coming up at some point. It was a given. So, uh, <laughs> he was the man, but all right, anyway, to, to zoom back into what we were actually talking about, um, we, we talked about a little bit of history. We'll go into some more recent history. Last season... Uh, some losses in the non-conference schedule really set what felt like kind of a negative tone for Penn State. DePaul and Bradley in particular, not especially appealing. Um, I think the lot, the ACC challenge was what, NC State last year? Right, more NC understandable. Yeah, more understandable. But the real problem, of course, is that between the first two in December and then starting conference play in January, Penn State lost their first 10 conference games. And I remember thinking repeatedly, like, Penn State's not actually this bad. It's... It, it, various reasons why they couldn't necessarily put things together but i i remember thinking like this is probably the best 0 and 10 conference team i've ever seen so i can't figure out what the problem is here yeah there were some frustrating losses there were some close losses and a lot of it was just they didn't have tony carr anymore i mean lamar stevens was supposed to pick up the slack they brought in some freshman razier bolton he shined during the non-conference season and then kind of struggled during that beginning of conference season. Uh, played much better later when Penn State started winning some games. But uh, there was just a lot to overcome. Um, Mike, Watt- Mike Watkins missing a big chunk of time. But, uh, you know, the fact that Jamari Wheeler, who logged most of the time at point guard, still can't shoot real... Uh, I mean, it's a problem that's going to persist this year. There's, there's not enough shooters. They got they, uh, got Miles, Miles Dredd, who was also a freshman last year. Hopefully, he becomes a more consistent player. But the problem with this team is uh, Lamar Stevens can do a lot offensively. They play really good defense. They're going to miss Josh Reeves, who is a fantastic defensive player, really underrated defensive player during his time at Penn State. But they just do not do enough to put the ball in the hoop. And there are some players this year. Isaiah Brockington is a transfer from St. Bonaventure. He can shoot a little bit. The uh, Now I'm blocking on the transfer. The transfer from Oklahoma State, Curtis Jones Curtis from Oklahoma Jones, State. Yeah. Graduate transfer, he can shoot a little bit. But these, you know, these guys aren't going to be they're, – they're probably just going to be role players, but every little bit of just guys who can shoot and spread out the floor and allow I, Lamar Stevens to punish the defense when they inevitably swarm to him, every little bit helps. So uh, the defense should be good again, even without Reeves. You're hoping this freshman Seth Lundy can uh, 
can give them a little bit of what Josh Reeves gave them and a little bit on offense. And, but yeah, it, there's going to be times where they, they struggle to knock down shots. And I think it's me frustrating again. And I, I just don't think they added enough shooting to get to the, where. Yeah. And there are, as you mentioned, there are almost some structural issues with the roster as it's constructed. You mentioned the absence of Tony Carr as well. I think that was a really big problem. And what we saw with Penn State last year was the problem with building your offense around Lamar Stevens. It's not that he isn't talented or that he can't score the basketball, but his game is based on isolation. It's based on mid-range jumpers. Um, the ball goes to him. A lot of the times I seem to recall that that meant it, it just stopped. Nobody else was moving after that. It was hold still, let Lamar do his thing. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It, well, it, you're a New York guy. It's a little bit of Carmelo Anthony, isn't it? I mean, it's not to say that the guy isn't an effective player, but if he's the focal point of an offense, nobody else is getting involved. <laughs> and that, you know, you mentioned some of the guys who had flashes of being a, a useful sidekick last year, um, Dread, Wheeler. The fact is that, you know, if they're not getting regular flow possessions on offense. It's just not going to have the same effect. And maybe things will be a little bit different. I do think Curtis Jones is a guy who could be, I don't know if he would step into the starting lineup, but Rasir Bolton leaving opens a hole. So they're going to need something from him because the freshman class, the incoming prep players, all outside of the top 200, according to 24-7. So I don't know that you would expect an immediate impact from any of them. If they're going to get an infusion of talent, it's got to be through the transfers. Yeah, and I think Lundy is the one freshman who could have an impact. There's, again, like you said, a huge gap at point guard. You're going to see a lot of you're going to see a lot of Wheeler there, but unless something drastically changed in the offseason, he's not someone who's going to be able to sh- shoot. He's he's really quick, great on defense, uh, cuts the basket. He's kind of like a uh, poor man's poor poor man's uh, tum tum. With the way he plays, he's just just no outside shot whatsoever. Oh, but geez, to that extent. Huh? <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah, it's it's I mean, uh, if he could just shoot a little bit, it would. I think I've tweet I tweet that like like once every couple games last year. Where it's just hey, if, if Jamari Wheeler could just shoot a little bit, it, you'd be such a great player because he does some really good things. He's got quick hands. He steals the ball. He can get to the basket, does a lot of does a lot of things well. But the, the lack of a shot just really uh, hurts his game on offense, hurts the whole team on offense, but he's going to be the point guard. He's, he's the one experienced guy. And I I think you're right about Curtis Jones. I think he is going to be in the starting lineup at least uh, at first. And we'll see how they feel about miles dread. He was a guy who at the beginning of the season looks like, okay, he's going to be the guy who knocks down threes, but kind of tailed off didn't really play consistently during conference play. So I don't even know what really to, to think about miles dread. He's one guy. He needs to take a step forward uh, for Penn state. We're just looking for guys to take that step. Like and Lamar it's, it's, Stevens yeah. is there. Like you, the, your comparison to Carmelo Anthony was, was interesting, except that instead of needing Carmelo to pass the ball, we just need Lamar Stevens to take that shot because him kicking to a three-point shooter, not <laughs> not going to work that often. They're just not enough good shooters unless we see Dread take a step forward or less Curtis Jones 
is is uh, more than just a role player. Myron Jones, another guard who we've seen flashes of like nice things. He can knock down outside shot every once in a while, but it's just so inconsistent. They they tried him at the point guard at times last year. He was kind of a freshman who wasn't highly recruited, who came out of nowhere. I think he signed late. Uh, this is Myron Jones, but but uh, when they did try him at point guard, he just turned the ball over a lot. And uh, yeah, they're just looking looking for guys to step forward. But having a full season of Mike Watkins is is going to help. He's someone who could score in the score in the post on his own. He's really good at finishing in the pick and roll, so that'll help out the guards a little bit. But yeah, you're just worried with losing Bolton. Is there enough guard play to get them there offensively? I don't know. I don't know if there is, but uh, <laughs> we just have to hope. We just, that's why I can't wait for the ball to get picked <laughs> off. Yeah, well, and guys. for sure. And structurally, they're going to have to come up with some kind of long term answer other than tossing the ball to Lamar Stevens because Stevens is a senior. Uh, he's a senior. Watkins is a senior. Curtis Jones, as you mentioned, is a grad transfer. I think he only has the one year because I, I feel like I remember him playing at OK State for at least a couple of seasons already. Yeah, he's a graduate but, student. Curtis. Yeah. Jones. So they're going to need they're going to need to find a future for what what this offense is going to be. It, again, as I mentioned, it's not like there's obvious impact talent um, in this recruiting class or in that. They already have four guys committed for 2020. All of them are three stars. And that's not to say that none of them will be good players, but it's not it, it's stars. not reasonable to. Uh, this is 24 seven. I think it's the um, consensus. But in any case, it, you know, they may, <laughs> some of them may be a little bit. Uh, higher ranked by other services, but I don't get the impression from what I'm looking at that any of them are expected to be, you know, your one and done or two and done obvious impact guys from the beginning. So they're going to need some of these role players. You know, again, you mentioned Jones, Dread. Somebody's got to be the next guy. Um, so we've discussed what we think they might look like. Let's see how we think that translates. Schedule actually has some interesting matchups in the non-conference. Uh, the NIT challenge that they have early on, depending on how the field falls, they will play Ole Miss for sure. That could also involve matchups with um, with BYU, with Bucknell, with Syracuse. Uh, they have an early season matchup with Georgetown as well. They get um, Wake Forest, I think, in the NIT challenge. Or not the NIT, the uh, Big Ten ACC challenge. So there are some opportunities there for interesting wins, but not a whole lot of gimmies in a season when they may need to push the win total as high as they can because Big Ten, you know, is probably going to be pretty difficult again. Now, that being said, the Big Ten schedule is reasonably favorable in one way because their single plays include Maryland, Purdue, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then Illinois and Nebraska. But with those first four teams, I mean, there's an argument that that's probably four of the top six teams in the conference that you only play once. So on the one hand, that means you get more winnable games. On the other, it means fewer resume items to pick up late in the season. So a little bit of, you know, a little bit of give and take with the schedule. Yeah. And the good news is they do play 20 of them. So that gives you a little bit of an edge over other conferences, over teams. Maybe hopefully you're on the bubble against. And and there are there are other teams that are going to struggle a little bit. You got to be. Northwestern, you got to beat Minnesota, you got to beat Nebraska, you got to beat Rutgers, just build up those wins. Those are the teams that I think are obviously probably a little bit below 
Penn State's level and then try to steal some of the home games. I usually play Illinois well at home. And, uh, and yeah, Penn State's been known to uh, spring an upset or two. Michigan's missing some, obviously, Brez Dacus. We have to end, end – uh, I'm thinking of Charles Ro- Charles Robinson is his name. He's they're missing him. So I'm uh, talking about Matthews, the guy who Matthews, also left early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robinson. I, I know. Yeah, I knew. They'll I was miss they'll him. be interesting. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're missing. Yeah, Michigan's gonna be interesting. They yeah, they are missing. Matt, they are missing Matthews and Brez Dacus, who's on the Knicks now. Now that we were talking about the Knicks. Um, but yeah, uh, Indiana's got their their new super freshman. So. I, I I mean I'm I'm just I'm just worried that they that they're not gonna improve enough. And when you're talking about what they're gonna do after Lamar Stevens, Lamar Stevens, if he wanted to, could have left for the NBA, and then this team might be the worst in the Big Ten if that had happened. Yeah, I think and that would probably be the case. You'd be, I mean, you'd that's, be down we're, there. We're looking at a total just <laughs> just you know have to start over without yeah. Lamar Stevens. So. Just judging on that, that's not a great sign or things to come that we were relying on this one player so much to come back or we just weren't going to get anywhere. And now we're talking about this being maybe an NCAA tournament team. I wish I was more more optimistic about it. I mean, it's going to be tough. Uh, (laughs) You got to call it like you see it, though. Um, I don't know how much I believe in Nojel Eastern as being the guy at Purdue, so maybe they could still want to get Purdue. So... But yeah, there's, uh, there's know, a lot of parts in the conference. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bank on Purdue falling off much. I mean, they've how many times in the last few years have they had to, you know, you ask how are they going to replace that guy? I mean, even last year, they sure they still had Carson Edwards, but what they had lost from the previous season was this four man senior class with, you know, a mountain of counting stats and a ton of experience, and they still made it work. So. I think it's probably fair to assume Painter will figure something out. They may yeah, not be. No, they sure may not they be will. right at the top at, of the table. I'm just looking yeah. for any any type of opening. But yeah, you're right about Purdue. They <laughs> oh sure, make, sure, sure. Losing like a superstar every year. Uh, you know they they lose they lose Haas. They lost. Um, I do. I mean, they're probably going to take a big step back offensively. They still have some size up front to make you think they're going to be, and even on the wing to make you think they're going to be pretty good on defense. But I don't think they're going to be anywhere near as good offensively because it wasn't just Edwards. They lost Klein and Eifert too, a couple of their best shooters. So uh, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting for them, but looking at Penn state schedule, there are a couple of stretches that pop out to me. The first is actually in December. So we may find out barely a month into the season, what this team's ultimate destiny is because right after the, challenge game with wake forest the two conference games that penn state starts off with are a trip to ohio state and then hosting maryland and then their next game after that is a non-conference matchup with alabama which is not the alabama football that we know but is a decent ish team in the sec so that's a four game stretch i could kind of tell you i mean first of all two of the games are conference games but those are going to be some resume opportunities if penn state comes away with one certainly, but two. I mean, if you get if you split that series, um, I have to think that's going to be a good sign, not only for the resume items themselves, but for the indicator that Penn State can play against and beat teams of that caliber. So that that feels like an important stretch. And then looking further into the conference schedule, 
another stretch uh, in early February. If you want to talk about a combination of resume wins and then positioning wins in the Big Ten, February 4th at Michigan State, February 8th, home against Minnesota, February 11th at Purdue. That's a difficult stretch, but if you somehow pick off two of those games, if you get one of those road games and knock off Minnesota at home, Minnesota is probably one of those teams that you're going to be wrestling with for position in the Big Ten tournament. Um, that felt like another key stretch of the schedule to me. So we've discussed kind of what we, I mean, the best case scenario for this team is probably making the tournament, correct? Yeah, definitely. That would be the best. That would be, that, yeah, that's the seal. That's the ceiling is making a tournament maybe as a 10 to 12 seed. And in terms of positioning in the Big Ten itself, I, probably looking at what, somewhere in the six, seven, eight range as an optimistic scenario? Yeah, def- yeah, that's probably the highest I could get. Okay. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I would call it a worst case scenario, but if things don't go well, if they fall short of reaching the tournament, I mean, first, is there any other occur- any other occurrence that would call- what would leave you satisfied with the season if they don't make the tournament? No, because they already have a NIT championship under Chambers. They won one under the Chelsea. So even like winning the NIT is like, okay, we well just missed the tournament again. So no, it's tournament <laughs> or bust. This is Lamar Stevens's senior season. He has developed into a superstar player. I think he can make, make first team all big 10. If he just gets a little bit of help from his teammates and doesn't have to shoot like 40% from the field in order to be the team's only offensive threat. So if he just gets a little bit of help, I think he can make first team big 10 and, and yeah, they, this is this is the last year, so they have to they have to go for it this year. They have to do it. It's probably whether they make it or not. Next year is probably going to be ugly. It's going to be a re, it's going to be a rebuilding year. So so we're hoping uh, we're hoping this is the one and that they they catch the breaks. They need to take advantage of these mid tier SEC teams on the schedule. Wake Forest is not the worst opponent they could have drawn for the ACC challenge. So hopefully take that one and. And yeah. uh, build a nice little resume there. Yeah, and and you know, as we mentioned, because of the single draws being towards the top end of the of what we think will be the conference table, there will be opportunities to pick up a lot of wins against the likes of the Northwesterns, the Nebraskas um, of the Big Ten. So that's good. Yeah, I, I think we agree that anything short of a tournament bid would be a massive disappointment. Um, and you know sliding now into our next team it's really a program that's in kind of a similar position we'll talk minnesota for a while um similar vibe here which is are are we gonna do this or are we not gonna do this um they snuck into the tournament last year on a couple of you know unexpected big 10 tournament wins i mean penn state was definitely in their weight class but they also upset purdue which may have been necessary for them to make the field at all and then in the tournament, of course, the storyline, which I frankly thought was going to get more airtime, was uh, Little Dicky picking up the NCAA tournament win against Louisville to avenge Papa Patino's honor uh, and getting himself a contract extension in the meantime. So, you know, our Minnesota contacts seem to have been a little bit bearish on his uh, on his prospects in the Twin Cities, but it seems like he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard's done a nice, nice little job, job there, making the tournament as a ten seed last year when expectations weren't all that high at all. They're obvious, like you said, they're in a 
similar position to Penn State, although Penn State is kind of on the upswing because they're a year they're two years removed from losing their superstar Tony Carr that helped them win the NIT. Minnesota is just losing everyone now. Amir uh, Coffey and Jordan Murphy both yeah, departing. Are... It's going to be a lot of and Dupree McBrayer was, was a uh, nice shooter for them, so it's going to be a lot of a lot of Daniel Oturu, a lot of Gabe Kalsher. Please tell me I'm saying right. I didn't watch enough Minnesota actually. I don't know if it's Cal. I think it might be Cal Shower, but it's close enough. And you know, Minnesota folks are nice enough that they they won't correct you. They'll just gossip about how you got it wrong behind your back. So yep. it's not like you're ever going to hear about it from them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's fair to say that. Look, it did did Patino find a nice little flourish to the end of last season? Sure, he did. But he's in year six. I mean, that, that's the other thing. I don't know what it is. Like, there's kind of this cohort of coaches that were all hired kind of like towards the beginning of this decade. Like when I was putting this together, I was looking at uh, at Chambers record and I was like, whoa, 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 he's in year nine. That's impossible. Like, it, you know, it still feels uh, like yeah. he's in about like he's in like year three. But it just I'm no, I guess it's just funny. I guess that's when my subconscious stopped accepting the passage of time. It was like, no. 2014 is when we are going to like freeze and from here, this is our point of reference from here on out. And so I'm just like, I'm perpetually giving Pat Chambers more time in my head. I'm like, well, it's only year three. It, you know, it's his seventh year three now, oh. but, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, and, and Patino's another guy that I think like him and McCaffrey, um, Tim miles before Nebraska canned him. Um, all these guys that were hired around the same time, where it's like none of them have really done all that much yet, but it's like, oh, come on, it's you know not a great basketball program. And they got there, you gotta give them time, gotta give them time. And it's like, hey, boy, you know what? They've been there seven, eight years and haven't done anything. And um, anyway, yeah. You know, what, Tim, has Tim Miles been hired anywhere? He they just announced he's gonna do some analyst stuff for BTN this year. Oh I right, he I did see that a studio job. Okay. Yes, so he did get hired, just yeah. not by and, uh, a college basketball team. Because that's what I, I was thinking when when. Nebraska fired Miles and they hired and they hired Hoiberg. I said to myself, that's, you know, I said Penn State would be happy with Tim Miles. I would have been content with Tim Miles. So what I think is going to happen is Pet Chamber is going to fall short and then Penn State will hire Tim Miles. <laughs> that's what I think will happen the next in yeah, the, I mean, uh, you know, he's year. he's young and he's young enough that I wonder if he's really actually done coaching or if he is and just going to do, you know, he'll do like the Urban Meyer thing before he went to Ohio State. And not that he's going to get that kind of job, but you know, he'll um, he'll he'll pick up some lower tier SEC or probably Big Twelve job. I mean, I think he's been kind of out in that part of the country most of his career. So, uh, you know, maybe like Bruce Weber hangs it up at K State or something, and they decide to give him a shot, whatever. But uh, I think he'll be good in the studio, but. Anyway, as far as Minnesota goes, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this team functions because the last couple of years when they've worked, it's been because Jordan Murphy and Amir Coffey have been superstars. I mean, Murphy was one of the best rebounders I've ever seen from the minute he set foot on campus. As a freshman, he was grabbing 8, 10, 12 rebounds a game. Coffey was one of those guys who could go for 30 or 35 in a night. Not always super efficient, but kind of an unstoppable force once he got moving and now they don't have either of those guys. So what does this team look like? I mean, who, who even is their best player? We mentioned Kyle Schauer and Oturu, but neither of those guys have had to have a primary role in their careers yet. And, you know, looking last season, Minnesota only had six games 
where somebody other than Jordan Murphy, Amir Coffey, or Dupree McBrayer was their leading scorer. And I'm pretty sure every single one of those times it was either Kalshauer or Oturu. So you've got, like, those are the only guys you know you can count on for much of anything. They've got to have such an increase in their role this year for Minnesota to be any good. Um, looking at the recruiting class and what they can expect from that, uh, Isaiah Innan was kind of a late pickup, a German player. He's pretty well regarded. So you can probably count on something from him. But, uh, you know, outside of that, outside of that, their other recruits are both outside of the top 400. So it, it's those are going to be developmental guys. You can't count on anything from them right away. And then looking at the conference schedule for them, they've got a couple of interesting matchups. Um, they play Oklahoma. They play Butler. They've got a matchup at Utah. And then in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, they have Clemson. So there are some tough-ish games early on. Um, they also have a late December game with Oklahoma State. So a lot of difficult matchups for Minnesota for a team that's best-case scenario probably going to be kind of on the tournament bubble anyway with this uncertain roster, and the schedule's not doing them a whole lot of favors early on. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Minnesota to make the NCAs this year. They're just losing a ton of talent. Like you said about about Cal, Cal it's going to be tough for him because he's going to be thrown into the deep end. He hasn't been in a starring role yet. He was their best three-point shooter by far last year. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of other shooting on the roster. So I think, I think it's going to be rough for Minnesota. This is the one of the teams that I'm hoping Penn State can beat up on in their own quest for the NCAA tournament. Oturu can hopefully for them be the Jordan Murphy guy that's is the blue collar guy who just bullies opponents underneath and, and uh, gets and gets the rebounds. He doesn't have the same type of, of frame that Jordan Murphy did. Jordan Murphy reminds me of Penn state legend, Jamel Cornley, the way he was like shorter, but played larger than his, than his height. The good news for Minnesota is we're going to get to see how good this, this freshman from Germany this uh, Inen is <laughs> because he's probably going to be thrown into the fray right away. He's uh, he's he's six nine. He seems to be a little skinny. He's, he's only two hundred ten yeah, pounds. He's, six nine. He's, uh, he's on the slim side, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see if he's wiry, strong, or if he's just plain wiry. <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah, because uh, they they should be able to experiment with him. We'll see what he can do. The the thing about Minnesota for me is even when they're good, they've been a tough watch. Watch uh, stylistically, they're not the most exciting team. Although they seem to usually play fast. Last year was a lot of Jordan Murphy just in the post, getting getting garbage buckets. Although he did develop a little bit of a jump shot, and that made him a fun player to watch. But without the without Coffee and Murphy, they're just going to be. I think it's going to be plain ugly this year. It's it's going to be, but we'll we'll see. Maybe Gabe Kalshar has what it's what what he needs to be that superstar player. He certainly is a great shooter. So so I but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be rebuilding here. I think it's going to be tough for them. They do have a couple of transfers coming uh, online, and Marcus Carr and Peyton Willis, who could be a bit more of a help there. I mean it. I really think they'd be best served by keeping Kalshauer in a similar role to what he's been, because when he is allowed to be a spot up shooter, he can be lethal. They were at their best last year when, 
you know, the slashing from coffee would open up shots for cow shower. So if they find somebody who can do a passable imitation of what they had with um, coffee on the attack last season, they may be able to kind of imitate what they were doing before. Uh, they're also, like I said, you, you mentioned uh, Marcus, and I know despite having kind of a modest rating that Minnesota fans are pretty excited about Trey Williams as well. Um, only a three-star according to the services, but he is about a top 130-ish type of player. So he's the kind of guy you could expect something from right away. We'll see what they're able to get out of him. But the schedule, as we mentioned, some interesting non-conference matchups, but nothing too overwhelming. Looking at the conference schedule, um, they do get single plays with Purdue, Michigan, and Maryland. Teams will be towards the top of the table. Um, they also have single plays, however, with Rutgers in Nebraska as well as Illinois. So only getting one shot at Nebraska and Rutgers, who, I, you know, I think it's probably, I mean, Rutgers is one of the tougher teams in the conference to pin down. Um, and while I discussed this with uh, MC Clap Your Hands, we, I think we kind of went back and forth on this as well. They, if you look at their trajectory, they're probably going to be getting into the middle of the conference, but this is the the part of the program developmental curve where it gets hard, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's often possible for a coach to come into a program and lift them out of the basement. I mean, if you have a coherent system, if you can recruit decent players, you can usually get out of the place where Rutgers was when Pykele was there. It's kind of moving forward that where it gets tough. And the fact that they lost their only senior and captain is not something that I'm really willing to overlook. So I would count Rutgers as the the sort of single play that is dis- disadvantageous if you're looking for a tournament bid because you want to notch as many wins as you can. And that's, you know, would you rather play Rutgers twice or Michigan State twice if you think you're going to be on the tournament bubble? Two schools yeah. of philosophy. I mean, <laughs> you can either you can either try to notch as many wins as possible and hope that the tournament committee kind of glances past the fact that it's mostly like, you know, quadrant three and four wins or you can take a stab at more quadrant one wins, knowing you're probably going to take it in the teeth more often than not. I mean, there's two ways to look at that, I suppose. And if, if Rutgers improves a little, they're not going to really hurt your resume as a win. They'll hurt you as a loss, but I don't think they're going to hurt you that much as a win. So I think I'd rather take Rutgers twice, but that's not good for Minnesota because they don't have that. Right. But if I'm a Minnesota fan, I, I just want to see how these young these young guys play going forward and i i would i'm i would mentally prepare myself for a rebuild for a rebuilding year which is what i would be doing as a penn state fan if lamar stevens didn't come back so uh, yeah and, and you know make no mistake i mean coffee was for minnesota about what stevens is for penn state i mean he was he was the straw that stirred the rest of the drink it's not that there was nothing else there at all, but none of it moves, none of it works quite as well without him doing what he does. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Minnesota's fate kind of depends on whether either Kalshauer or Oturu or both are the next cornerstones of this program or if they have to look elsewhere. I mean, if their best player next year turns out to be in or turns out to be one of the transfers, it's not that isn't saying that they might be terrible, but... It, it probably does not mean that they're going to be as good as they were last year or the year before when they had higher level of talent um, on the roster. So, all right. Uh, I think that's enough about that. Let's get, let's talk about my team. I finally get to talk about my team. Um, all right, let's go. Yeah. The best team. 
You know, everyone's so right to pat him on the back, and it's that exact moment that is usually when they face plant the hardest. Um, it is hard not to feel really good about where they are and their chances to do a lot of big things this year. And for what this program's done, especially after last year, the only big thing left is the biggest thing. Um, we'll, I mean, we'll talk expectations a bit more later, but... This is, I mean, last season was probably the most typical Izzo season ever because they came off of a year where they lose Jaron Jackson Jr., who is basically now the future of the Memphis Grizzlies. They lose Miles Bridges, who hasn't had as good of an NBA turn yet, but it seems like he's getting better. I mean, it, it doesn't help that he's not a terrible franchise, but they lose two, <laughs> they lose two lottery picks and they got substantially better. Um, because it, the pieces just fit together a lot better. I mean, in the year when they had Jackson to go alongside Bridges and all the other guys on that team, it just felt like they were trying so hard to make sure everybody was happy, to make sure everybody got the shots they wanted and the time they wanted, that they never bothered to figure out what the best actual combination of players was. Um, and, you know, we could revisit the whole Izzo playing Ben Carter 20 minutes against Syracuse in the tournament thing. I still think he had a stroke on the floor, but uh, as in spite of being on paper, a less talented team last year, the chemistry they had was something, I, I mean, I'd have to think back to like 2009, the last time they made the title game to find an MSU team that fit together and complemented each other better. So big 10 regular season title, big 10 tournament title, they make it to the final four and they managed to slay their dragon in beating Coach K and Duke to get there. I, you know, who oh, was I? Who, that. I, oh, and I just remember the the like genuinely distraught articles from various national media sources after Duke lost. Like the tournament is ruined because now we can't watch Zion anymore. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, I have, oh, that must have given you so much satisfaction. I mean, it gave me satisfaction just rooting for Michigan State in that game. I was, oh, it's, it's the best. Yeah, and I mean, I got nothing against uh, against Williamson personally. He's, he's an entertaining player, but my God, they turned him into, I mean, they turned him into a, like, a com- like some combination of Michael Jordan and Bill Russell and LeBron all at once. Like, they made him into a lot more it's than he Casual ever was. the fan, and it's the NBA fan, but the, the hardcore <sighs> college basketball fan, how can you not love what Michigan State was doing last year? The, the two guys they're going to miss the most, and I I was looking over the roster, and I don't like the team as much as I thought I would. Well, I, first, I thought Nick Ward was coming back. He's not. Uh but the, the, just Ken, the, what Kenny Goins and Matt McQuaid gave them as role players last year was was uh, so underrated. And, you know, in a, in a college basketball world where everyone wants to talk about the NBA prospects and the Zion Williamson, these guys fly completely under the radar. And McQuaid had so many big shots. And Kenny Goins, just having a big man who could step out and shoot and also rebound and do all these little things. He's the, you know, he's Kenny Goins was such a glue guy for them. I, I just don't know if I can see this team returning to a final four because i think i think what you said is right i think that kind of chemistry they had was so rare and just the role players just fit perfectly in everything that that team was just uh that that team is something that's that's not easy to find even if you do have all all the uh all the uh ncaa or um, the nba draft talent it's it's hard to find that kind of team so I don't. I, I. I. think the expectations are really high, and for a good reason. You still have Cassius Winston. He's could be the best player in the country. I think Aaron Henry is an extremely important 
piece, that game he had against LSU in the tournament where he showed all the potential. He, he showed he can be the, the glue guy this year. I think he's going to be extremely important in getting to wherever they want to be, but I still don't think they live up to the expectations this year just because of what you, cause, cause the, they do not have the same chemistry as last year. It's going to be hard to replace. Yeah. I mean, in lieu of the pieces fitting together as perfectly as it did last year, MSU is basically going to need a lot of its younger guys to get substantially better because you mentioned, you know, it's not like they had a fistful of NBA prick picks last year. Um, I think Goins and McQuaid both got like, both got the two way contracts for a minute, but I, neither of them are playing, um, I th- no, actually, I think Goins ended up going to Europe. Um, but anyway, neither of those guys are NBA players. But look at this season. I mean, Xavier Tillman is really the only guy on this team who has a probable NBA future. I mean, I, if he continues the improvement he made from freshman to sophomore year again this year or, or anything like it, yeah, he's going to go. He'll probably be like a late lottery, early 20s NBA pick because the real – I mean, honestly, you mentioned Nick Ward being gone and – He's a name that a lot of people know because he was such a capable scorer. But the fact is, this team got better when he was hurt because he remained such a liability defensively. You could screen and roll, pick and roll MSU to death when he was on the floor because he just couldn't defend against screens. But Tillman could. I mean, he could stay with point guards. He could stay with wings. He was good at the rim. He was incredible defensively. And Izzo might not have played him all that much if Ward's injury hadn't forced his hand, but it did. And it's just, it's weird how, and that's honestly probably part of the reason why Nick Ward left. Although he was, I mean, he always had the feel of a guy who was not looking to stay all four anyway. He ended up going undrafted, I think. Um, But yeah, I mean, the other problem, of course, is that Josh Langford is still not healthy. (laughs) He, He got hurt before conference play started last year. He, it, you know, it's mysterious. I, I don't think it's ever really been publicly said what exactly is the matter with him. It's some kind of foot slash ankle issue. But he was supposedly looking better on his way back. And then just uh, maybe a week ago, a little bit longer than that, it they announced he's out indefinitely, re-aggravated it. It doesn't even sound like it's clear he's going to play again this season, which whatever happened, I mean, it's a drag for him because... He's supposed to be kind of the emotional anchor of the team, but you know he was—he's the only McDonald's All-American on the roster right now, um, which says something for the way Izzo's developed this group of players. But no, this team will probably once again go exactly as far as Cassius Winston can take them. Tillman is a hell of a number two. They're really going to need some combination of young wing players to step up. I mean, you mentioned Aaron Henry; he's probably the best candidate. He'll be starting at the three most of the time. They're also going to start Rocket Watts, who's their best recruit in this class, which, by the way, what an awesome name for a guard. I was going to say, I'm so jealous of Michigan State. Like, the best Penn State has is, like, Shep Garner. And, you know, Shep was a, was a cool name. But uh, now you have – you're just a, a year without Tum Tum Nairn, and now you have Rocket Watts. I mean, I, I don't know how – I don't know how Izzo does it. Well, yeah, there's that, but, I mean – I, when I discussed uh, the Illinois preview was actually done by none other than MN Wildcat, our, our neutral and fair uh, moderator and premier. And uh, when we were talking about Illinois, they've got a hell of a, of a name team coming in this season. Um, Kofi Cockburn, the seven foot Jamaican guy who oh sounds God. like, who sounds like a terrible shaving injury. And then, <laughs> uh, and then the Belgian guy, Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk. So his last name is hyphenated. <laughs> the first part of his name is Bossman's, plural Bossman. 
And the second part of his name, Verdonk, which, again, I, as I discussed with MN Wildcat, my understanding of the Dutch language is that the prefix ver means from or of. So he is boss man of the dunk. <laughs> <I'm> uh, <laughs> it's too perfect. Uh, but no, those are that's a couple. They've got a couple of legendary all team names. But Rocket Watts is decent. I'll take Rocket. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I wonder if maybe that's just why Brad Underwood was holding open scholarships was so he could wait for the right names to come along and scoop them up. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially with the injury to Langford, uh, they're going to need big contributions from Watts right away this year. Uh, and they're also going to need, I mean, they had a five-man freshman class last year, and Henry was definitely the guy that got the most out of. Most of the others played secondary roles at best, but... They're going to need Gabe Brown to develop. He apparently has become much better defensively, which was the issue last year. He was a flamethrower from long range, but could not play lick of defense, which meant under Rizzo that he played like six minutes a game. If he plays defense now, he's going to play, and that'll help them a lot. Uh, and they have to find, they have to figure out what they're doing at the power forward spot as well. I mean, Tillman is really good, but he can't play the four and the five for 40 minutes a game. So they need some combination of... Thomas Kithier, Marcus Bingham, who is incredibly skilled but was rail thin last year, uh, and then the freshman Julius Marble and Malik Hall. They've got to get some combination of those four guys to fill in the, the space up front. I mean, they are losing plenty from last year's team. And, boy, um, it's not easy out of the gate. <laughs> this Tom Izzo is notorious for scheduling as difficult as he possibly can, and usually that pays dividends because his teams are battle-tested. They under, they are familiar with the intense travel associated with the tournament. It usually ends up being a positive thing, but I don't think they're going to hang on to this number one ranking for long because they got a lot of difficult matchups baked in here. I mean, the first game, Kentucky, out of the gate at the Champions Classic. They go on the road to play Seton Hall. I'm not sure how we agreed to that. Um, they play Virginia Tech in the Maui tournament where they may also see Kansas, where they may also see UCLA. And then the Big Ten ACC challenge. Oh, hey, look, it's Duke and Coach K's latest collection of Monstars. So and that's just the non-conference. Uh, that's before you even get into Big Ten play where as much as I mean, I haven't seen a single outlet that doesn't project MSU to win the conference. And look, on paper, I get that. But I don't think it's going to be a runaway like some people predict. I mean, no, it's not. It's not. It's not going to be a runaway. I, uh, I mean Maryland's Maryland's got a ton of talent. You said Purdue's always in it. They might take they'll take a small step back, but they're gonna probably just be a be be a con, be a contender all year long. Ohio State's bringing a really impressive freshman class. Yeah, you you hit it on the Wesson. You hit it on the head. I I do I think Michigan State is probably still gonna win the conference this year, but you, the last one you mentioned there is exactly what I think that is going to be the biggest challenge in, in Ohio state, because even with a severe, I mean, with a lacking roster last year, they were still a, a very difficult team to deal with. And the other thing is Michigan state only plays them once last year. And it's the very last game of the season. Um, it would not surprise me. And I mentioned this to MC when he and I discussed Ohio state, it would not surprise me. If, and he didn't necessarily buy into this, but I think that last game of the season may be for at least a piece of the Big Ten championship, the game between Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, crazy at all. it would be incredible. I mean, I think it's happened before. I feel like a few years ago, 
maybe like this might have been as far back as when like Draymond Green and William Buford were playing. Yeah, I was gonna say William um, Buford. I remember him. Yeah, him hitting I, a big big shot in uh in the Breslin centers to win point. it. Yeah, and I think that might have been. Yeah, it was a game-winning shot for, a, yeah. for at least a piece of a conference title. Um, yeah. So, anyways, to to uh, to look at the way the schedule lines up for Michigan State in the conference, then um, single plays are are Ohio State, of course. Um, only one matchup with Purdue, which is in Mackey, which is a difficult place to play. Um, and then the other single play is Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana. So they do get double exposure to. Most of the top tier of the conference, that being Maryland, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, singles with Ohio State and Purdue, though. So I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, gosh, I you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the first time since they joined the conference that we haven't had to play Rutgers twice. So I appreciate that because I still like, you know, it gets them on the schedule. And it's just like, bleh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. If you're a team like Michigan State, there's like no upside to those games. They're just like trap games. You just don't want to lose them. No, although you know, I I don't remember what caused me to check on this. I I'm, I think I read it somewhere else, and I checked to make sure, and it was true. Michigan State is the only team left in the conference that hasn't lost to Rutgers in football or uh, men's basketball. Oh uh, right, right, both sports. I remember <laughs> hearing that last year. Yeah, it's still true. Uh, yep. Barely. I mean, we we tried in football last year. We really tried, uh, but no, it's I think it's still true. Uh, sooner or later, they're bound to get us. Um, I just, man, I really hope it's not. I know. Are they? <laughs> oh, I, they I don't know. Uh, I mean, they gave Illinois a little bit of a battle today in football, so that didn't last very long to the third quarter, though. No. Yeah. But, uh, so, but I. Mean, I uh, I did find something for you. 20, 2012, Ohio State 72, Michigan State 70, last game of the regular season, and both teams finished 13-5. and five. So I think that's the game. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the one I'm talking about, because that would have been – right, because it was – I remember, it was Draymond Green's senior day, and uh, I was listening to the game on the radio, and, yeah, it sure enough, Buford drills the three with, like, three or four seconds left. And because of that, we split the title instead of winning it outright, which sucked. But, you know, nobody remember. I mean, it's a funny thing. Like if you're ever when you're in your team's building and like you're looking up like, oh, look at all those conference titles. It's not like you pick one out and be like, oh, that's the one we had to share because William friggin Buford hit that damn shot. Most people don't remember those. I mean, I'm sick enough that that is the kind of thing that will <laughs> stick out in my <laughs> mind. But uh you know, it, the split titles, it's just more people get to be happy about it, right? I mean, you get to raise, other people get to raise a banner. It's not like, again, there's no asterisk next to it where it says, you know, somebody else also has a piece of this banner. So I guess it, I guess it makes the tournament mean a little more. I mean, the Big Ten tournament. Maybe. It does. Yeah, I guess you could say that. That's another thing that. Oh, this says they. Oh, so Michigan State got revenge. They beat Ohio State in the tournament that year in Big Ten tournament. Hmm. Now, the funny thing is, I don't remember anything at all about that. Did that, Who won the Big Ten tournament that season? Michigan State. Michigan State beat Ohio State. Huh. Oh, so in the final, they beat them. Okay. In the final, oh, yeah. Right. So okay. they got a so, rematch. So, yeah. That well, everything kind of everything levels out after a while then. So, look, in, in terms of expectations for Michigan State then, I mean, I'm trying, there's, there's really no humble way to say this. Honestly, the best case scenario is Michigan State wins the national title. Uh, they're preseason number one. They've got 
probably probably going to be the front runner for the player of the year candidate in Cassius Winston. Um, they have a an NBA caliber big in Xavier Tillman. A lot of young players who you have to expect some development from. But that being said, <laughs> there's no there's no forty and zero or like two or three loss path for Michigan State here. The schedule is too difficult in the non-conference, and there's going to be some transition. Like they have some big pieces back from last year, but they are replacing a lot as well. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if they go into conference play with three losses, four losses. If they you know fall down into the mid-teens, low high teens, into the twenties, uh, I don't think they'll fall all the way out of the rankings. But expect them to kind of lose some of the national spotlight. And I don't think Izzo would have it any other way. I mean, he he schedules difficult for a reason. He likes his team to be motivated and focused for a reason. He probably hates that they're ranked number one because now they might actually think they're good. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's probably not bad for a player's psyche. But in terms of motivation, he's he's the man. I mean, nobody knows how to get the best out of his team when it counts more than he does. Um, but well, worst like case said, scenario, they can be humbled really quickly. And they come out with the Kentucky and Seton Hall. So... There you go. Yeah. They think they're too good. We'll find out about it real quick and they'll get put in their place. Sure. Yeah. In Kentucky, Seton Hall, probably Kansas. Vatek's not going to be as good this year, but they'll still be a decent team, I think. Um, and yeah. So the worst case scenario, I mean, honestly, anything short of a bid to the final four feels like a disappointment. And that's that's a high bar to hit. I know it. But look, the, the kind of unspoken thing here, which will become spoken a lot more loudly if this should happen again, is the last two teams they had that got this kind of preseason chatter both flamed out in the first weekend of the tournament. That cannot happen again. Um, nobody knows how much longer Izzo's going to coach. I mean, I, if he ever wins another title, I assume he hangs it up immediately at that point. But nobody knows how much longer he stays, regardless of what happens. And it, who knows if, if, it, if and when he's going to have another team this good again. I mean, he's got decent recruits coming in in future classes, um, I mentioned Rocket Watts. He's really the guy that you expect to have an impact in this class, but they have a couple other decent guys. But still, like this combination, I mean, and the senior point guard feels so important. Like the teams that I think, that I hope MSU ends up comparing to, like think about the UConn team with Shabazz Napier that won it. Um, that's the kind of impact that a senior point guard especially can have. Um, anything short of a deep tournament run and finishing if not right at the top, then very close to the top of the conference table is going to be a disappointment this year. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, the good news is as we sit here, we are only a few days away from the start of the season uh, and I don't have to think about football anymore. Although apparently Steve is going to drag me to East Lansing with him next week to watch his align. I become bowl eligible at the expense of my, uh, you know, like Caligula, or a Nero, Nero rather fiddling while Rome burns kind of situation in East Lansing. So yeah, fun. Can't we wait get to, to watch that. history. <laughs> yeah. Lovey Smith making his first bowl game as a college coach. Can't wait to be there in 35 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that concludes our preseason previews here on the charging block cast. Stay tuned for our future content. We will see you all before the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle. Empire.